Hello, podcast people. First, I want to tell you thank you for your time and your attention. I know you've got lots of options and lots of things going on, and when you take time to listen and hear, I just, I'm honored and I'm thankful. And I'm thankful to get to pour into you. I'm pumped you are listening in today. My name is Zach Daniel, and I'm the lead pastor of Antioch Community Church in Dallas, Texas, and I'm your host for this podcast. Today, we're shifting gears uh, in light of the election and all the questions and the complexities that it's raised. We're going to spend the next several weeks studying the book of 1 Peter in a series called Strong Grace. I believe that both you and I need strong grace in this season to lead well. And this book will help us receive and walk in that type of grace. Our communications team has a few announcements before we start the teaching. Hello, Antioch Community Church. We're so glad that you are here this morning. My name is Savannah Reynolds, and I get to serve on the pastoral leadership team. And this morning, my job is to tell you some cool stuff that's going on in our church that you won't want to miss out on. First of all, I want to invite you to our annual Turkey Bowl. This is a flag football game that we have every year as a church. It's so fun just to come out and play a little ball. It's on November 19th. There's a women's game that's going to start at 10 and a men's game at 11. So if you want to play, you can sign up online to get on a team. And if you don't want to play, you can come out and watch. It's going to be really fun. Also, I wanted to invite you to our Sunday morning prayer. Every other week at 8.15, we gather to pray for our church in our city. The next one is going to be next Sunday at 8.15 in the kids' rooms, and we would love to have you. Lastly, our Welcome to the Family Dinner is on November 20th from 5.30 to 7 at the church. So if you're new here, this is a great way to get connected. We'd love to tell you more about the church, feed you a good meal, and help you to meet some awesome people. So if you're interested in coming, sign up online so we can know how much food to get for you. Love to see you there. Those are our weekly announcements. We are so thankful for you and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Man, what a, a week. I, I don't know that anyone would have thought on Tuesday as the elections were unfolding. I, I didn't know anyone that I knew that picked the outcome. I think the newscasters were shocked. Uh, you're kind of watching like, wow, uh, what is happening here? And I, I went to sleep with about a thousand different emotions kind of all over the, the spectrum. Wednesday, uh, I went to my normal kind of office, which is Whole Foods, and uh, I, I, you laugh, but uh, I go there a lot. I like it, and I've, I've shared this with you before. Uh, I am uh, believing God to be the pastor of Whole Foods. I figure Whole Foods people need pastors, and I can go there and uh, love them. I think if Jesus were in our city, that he would hang out there, so I go hang out there a lot, and as I'm there, one of the cashiers that I regularly frequent just looks at me kind of in shock, and she's like, you know, my 15-year-old son uh, was just crying and coming unglued last night because he's so fearful about the results of the election. So she gave, said, I want to show you this little piece of paper that I, that I wrote, and uh, she had written him kind of an encouragement deal about fear not, and she was telling me that that's what I needed to preach to you guys today. He was the first to have my Whole Foods people give me the sermon for Sunday. But I appreciate that. Another uh, person that I befriended there 
came up to me, and she was just like, I need a hug. Now, if you know me, I'm not the biggest hugger in the world. <laughs> Hugging's not been a part of our relationship. But on, on Wednesday, she was like, I need a hug. She knows that I'm a man of God, and she's actually come to our church before, so give her a hug, and she's just wrought up. I get an email from a friend that's like, I don't know if my country even wants me here anymore. Someone else was telling me about their kids were asked at school if they were going to be deported, and just, you know, wow. And then uh, on the other side of the, the spectrum, I, as you probably do, have the, you know, the, the um, maybe stronger Republican in. It's like, oh, you know, the tide has turned. We've got our man in, and they're celebrating, and you've got people weeping, and you're just in the middle somewhere. And then I've got other friends, and you might be in this camp. It's like, dude, just can we move on and not talk about this anymore? I'm so sick and tired of the election, right? And imagine you find yourself in, in one of those kind of three camps, you know, as we come this Sunday here in December. And in the first service, we, we dedicated uh, babies. And I was thinking about just as a parent, I have three kids, like what, what, you know, what advice or what do you think about your kids in times like these? And, you know, my, my father had asked me, Zach, who do you think your church, like, how did your church vote? I was like, Dad, it'd be really hard to define our church by a political party, an income level. Uh, it'd be hard to define it by an education level. Like, we've got people from all different nations and ethnicities and income levels and ages and just all sorts of stuff. And, political affiliations. And I was just like, I don't know. And then you're thinking about these kids. And I was just like, man, what, what would I say as a, as a parent? And uh, it took me back to, in college, I worked at this camp where inner city kids, or kids from inner cities all over America would come uh, and would play sports in the summer. I worked there. And the leader of the camp would teach us godly leadership lessons, you know, to prepare us in how to lead these kids. Now, he was 6'9", maybe 270 or 280, I mean, big dude. So in a big dude like that, gives you leadership lessons, you know, he kind of commands the room. And he would teach us, he said, look, men, you are called not to be a thermometer, but you're called to be a thermostat. What does that mean? Well, a thermometer is defined by the environment that it's in, right? You take it out in the Texas summer, it goes one way, you take it to an Alaska, you know, cold place, it goes another. It's entirely shaped by its environment. And he was saying, you're not called to be thermometers, you're called to be thermostats. Thermostats are aware of the outside temperature, but from what's within them, they work to set the atmosphere, to set the temperature, to set the climate, rather than be defined by it. And this guy told us as we were going to have kids from all over with all sorts of situations come in that week, he said, man, you're not called to be a thermometer. You're called to be a thermostat. You're called to be so full of the grace of Jesus that you set the environment for your cabin and your week. You're aware of what's going on, but you bring hope, you bring a positivity, you bring a faith, you bring a love, you bring a humility that changes the environment around you. And I was thinking as a parent, we don't have control over kind of what may go on in the world around us, right? But what we do have the ability to do is to be thermostats, 
that with our children and our families and our friends and our communities, that we can be full of Jesus, that we can be full of hope, that we can be full of grace, that we can be full of compassion, we can be full of love, we can be full of courage, we can be those things, and we can be thermostats and not thermometers. And I was thinking that would be the advice on this week that I would give these new parents that are setting out on the journey of parenting. And as I prayed, I just really thought that's advice for more than just new parents. That's a word of counsel for all of us. How do we respond in the world that we live in? And it's to be thermostats and not thermometers. And so where I want to take us today is the book of 1 Peter, where we see the how and the why of doing this on display. We're going to title this study in Peter Strong Grace, because in this season, we all need strong grace. We don't need a a weak cup of grace. We need strong grace to face the world that you're going to walk into this week. Now, as we get ready to read this section of Scripture, let me tell you a little bit about the man who wrote it. Peter was one of the original disciples, one of the original friends of Jesus, one of the original followers of Jesus. Like, he was there from the beginning. And if you know anything about Peter, you know that he was a person that was kind of hot and cold all over the place. That one minute, he's like all in for Jesus, and the next minute, he's all in a completely different way. Uh, He's maybe most well-known for denying Jesus when Jesus was on trial, going to be crucified. Peter, who had said, Jesus, I'll die with you, when push came to shove, said, "I, I don't even know that guy, right? That's most of what he's most famous for. But he's also a man that encountered the grace of Jesus that meets us where we're at. In the midst of his failures and kind of fickleness and being all over the place, Jesus loved him. Jesus encouraged him. Jesus served him. Jesus washed him. Jesus called destiny out in him. He met the grace of Jesus. This was so significant and so profound that though that denying Jesus might have been the defining moment of his life, I mean, I think for you or for me, if we had done that, we might hang our heads in shame and just say, it's over with me, that actually wasn't the thing that defined Peter. That even though he went through that major failure, that God used him in a powerful way. A little while later, a short, uh, even many days later, God uses him to start to lead out in the church in Jerusalem right after Jesus is crucified. In fact, one sermon that he preached, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. The same guy that denied Jesus was now a leader in God's purposes. And so the grace of God had this transformational effect on his life. Peter was from a uh, racist community. I mean, that's the, the best way to put it. Where he grew up would have been very racist. They viewed their little ethnic group as kind of the end-all, be-all, that everyone else was that was not like them was lesser than. So they were very proudful, prideful about their ethnic heritage. As Peter begins to follow Jesus, you see this struggle that he has with overcoming this baggage that he grew up with. And at times, even as a leader within the church, he acted in a racist way. Like, oh, really? Yes. Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul calls Peter out 
for being racist as a church leader, saying, hey, you are preferring one race over another. This doesn't line up with the gospel of Jesus. And so that's where he was from. And yet in a beautiful picture of the grace of God, the main place where God used Peter in ministry was in bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the group that Peter's heritage would have told him to hate, to isolate from, to mark off as less than. That's whom God used him to bring the gospel to. Think about that. Think about the place where you're from and the people that you're supposed to write off as less than, as outsiders, as outcasts. And God used you to bring the gospel to them? I mean, think about the irony of that. Such a great picture of the grace of God just spilling outside of all the appropriate color-in-the-box lines that Peter would have grown up in. And here we see in 1 Peter, now as an old man, a man who's experienced the grace of Jesus, meeting him where he's at, meeting him in his failures, meeting him in his weaknesses over and over and over again, now transformed by this grace, drinking this strong grace, now made new as an old man. He's now writing a letter to these groups of Jesus followers that originally were from the ethnic group that he was told to despise. And now he's a father to them, a spiritual father. He's writing them with love in his heart, with encouragement in his heart. Peter is about to go to be martyred for the work that he's done. Right? He's about to suffer the penalty of death. This group that he's writing to is about to experience incredible suffering and hardship. And as we read these words, this man who had met the strong grace of Jesus, who had been transformed by the strong grace of Jesus, we see the heart of a father writing to these Jesus followers, equipping them, preparing them, encouraging them for what they were about to face. And the theme and the thing that he points back to over and over and over again is the grace of God that was available for them. So it seems like a great place for us to talk about in this week, to study from the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit to let God speak to us that word of strong grace that we need for the situation that we're in, coming from a man who had tasted and, and had, had spent many years drinking deeply of the grace of God, being transformed by it, now writing to a group of Christians who so needed that grace. First Peter 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Here as we begin to study strong grace, I want you to see three things that Peter opens with. It's a new name, it's a new purpose, and it's a new power source. That's where he starts. Let's look at that new name. You know that names are so significant for us. When we had the baby dedication, each parent shared about how they chose the name for their child. 
It's one of the first things that a child begins to identify themselves as. This is me. When you begin to call a child's name and they respond, it's like a deep place of identity. When you start out in school, we've all had the experience of other kids calling us names. And there's an old nursery rhyme that's like, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's the biggest lie in the world, right? We've all experienced the pain of having a name assigned to us that hurts us. And we've experienced the triumph of having a name, a title, an award that we think gives us a sense of value and significance. Maybe it's a you're an honor roll student. Maybe you're an athlete. Maybe you're one of the cool kids. Maybe this teacher likes you or this girl likes you or, or your parent says this about you and you kind of, that name, right? Names are so important to us. As we grow, we realize the value of having a name and we hunger for that. We all have this sense of we need something in life to make us feel significant, to make us feel complete, to make us feel valuable, like our life matters and we have a purpose. And so the way that we go about that is through pursuing achievement. If I can do these things, then I will earn this name. I'll earn this title or career. I'll get a job at this place, and that will make me significant. I'll make this much money or drive this car or live in this neighborhood or look like this or date this person, and that will give me that name that would make me complete, right? And we hunger for that, and you look around the world, and you see that going on all around us. Now, the problem with this way of pursuing this deep need that we all have is if you achieve that thing that you think completes you, rather than actually giving you value, it makes you prideful. Like, look at me. I got these grades. I got into this school. I have this job. I make this much money. And we may not say that overtly, but we sure do think that smugly. I've done this, and we become unbearable to be around because we're so prideful. Look at me, and look at how I am significant, right? So if we achieve the significance that comes through earning a name, we, we, we grow prideful. And if we don't achieve it, if you don't make those grades, if you don't get that job, if you don't get that bonus or date that person, then you're crushed. And instead of being prideful, you're filled with shame and insecurity. Well, I just am not that significant. I'm not that good. That's just for other people, not me. And that's the tension that we live in. That's the tension that that life happens in. And everywhere we look around, people are chasing after that name that can never give them what they're hoping for. It can give them pride. It can give you shame, but it can never give you that sense of lasting significance. Religion is not much better Right? You look at the religions of the world, they all tell you the same basic idea. Pray like this, do this, be good, and then you'll be a good fill in the blank. You'll be a good Muslim, you'll be a good Jew, you'll be a good Buddhist, you'll be a good Christian, all of them. So where do we go for a deeper, more lasting name that doesn't leave us prideful on the one hand or broken and shameful on the other one. Well, Peter actually starts out there because in the gospel, 
Jesus gives us a new name. And it's not a name that's earned through our works, through what you do or I do. It's actually one that he earned and he bestowed on his people in the gospel. That's where Peter starts out. Notice that he says this new name, that they are elect. That's the first descriptor of this new identity that they've received. Now, this way of receiving the name from Jesus doesn't leave us prideful, and it doesn't leave us filled with shame. It actually leaves us thankful and humbled that we have received this great gift, and it's also secure because it's the one vote that matters. It's the God of the universe declaring this new thing about you that you are elect. That's what Peter is writing to this group of Christians who are about to go through some significant suffering in a world that's shaky all around them. He starts out and he says, you are elect. Now, this is a rich biblical word that means they are chosen, that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the whole universe has set his affections on them and has chosen them. And I want you to know today, if you are a follower of Jesus, that when you received Jesus, you received the same thing. This new name that you are chosen. You are valuable. You are significant. And it is a name, not like a name tag that can be ripped off of you, taken away by someone or something. This is a name that God Almighty himself speaks over you that cannot be stripped away regardless of who is in what position or what happens to you. This is a deeper, more lasting name than that. That is good news. You should be like, oh, man, this is a name that I want. This is what Jesus gives to us. It's why it's so radically different than the religions of the world. The gospel sets those things on in than the way of the world. And Jesus says, here, the thing that you need, the significance you long for, I have given and give it to you. Here's a new name. You are elect. You are chosen. You are significant. And then he goes on to say, they're not just elect, but they're also exiles. Again, another word with rich biblical imagery. Now he's pouring out grace to them, the grace of the gospel in this new name. And exile, what is that? That's someone who is not in their homeland. Now this is a powerful name because what you see in the Bible is the people of faith over and over again had this deep new identity as exiles, as pilgrims, on the earth, that they were not home, but they were made for another place. They were defined for another place. Last night, my wife and I and our kids, we ate at uh, this pizza restaurant that's run by a Syrian family that we have been befriending. And as I was talking with the, the man, he's a tough guy, big guy, hard worker. I mean, he's been through some things and we're talking, and I'm asking him about Syria. His name is Muhammad. And I'm like, Muhammad, you know, tell me about Syria. And this man begins to cry. This tough, strong man that's been through so many things. I'm like, now tell me why you're getting emotional. And he said, well, I just, I just think of my homeland and my people and my family. And I, it's just... It's a tender thing. He said, you know, Texas is my home now, but in some ways, that's my home 
land. He, he was in Texas, but his heart and his mind were turned to another place. That's what this idea of exiles biblically is. is that it's a group of people that are not home. Though they're home, they're not home. That their heart and their attention and their affections are turned to another place. I want you to read about Abraham. He was a man, famous man from the Bible, that the scripture describes with that same exile attitude. It says this about Abraham in Hebrews 11, that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So it's telling the famous story found in Genesis of the man of Abraham that God called to leave his country and to go out. And it says, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his sons, heirs with him of the same promise. Look at this, verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's what this term exile means. So uh, Peter is saying, not only are you chosen in the gospel, not only are you significant that God has chosen you, you did not choose him, he has chosen you, that's what Jesus said, but you are also an exile. You are made for another land. A land whose builder and architect is God himself. And this points us to the idea of the city of God, the kingdom of God, where the goodness, the mercy, the prosperity, the love, the justice, the hope shapes and defines things, where oppression and injustice are gone and new life is That's the home. That's the city that Abraham was longing for. That's the place where his mind and affections were. And now Peter is saying in the gospel, you too have a new citizenship. Though you live in Bithynia, though you live in Cappadocia, though that may be the place where you live, that's not your home. Your home is heaven. You're made for a city whose builder and architect is God. Now what that means is that these followers of Jesus were not meant to live absent from the world, but that new city where their homeland, where they longed for, was actually supposed to shape the way in which they lived. That they were going to live out the prayer of Jesus as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. They were going to be cultural architects of this new way. This way that causes people to flourish. That's the new name that they received. And in the gospel, that's the new name that you and I receive as well, that we are exiles, that we are cultural architects who are looking to a city whose builder and maker is God, and that's defining the way in which we build in the life that you and I have here in our generation. Man, that's a good name. I'll take that name too. The next thing that Peter describes them as, he says, you've been chosen, you're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God. What that means is that this did not happen just by happenstance. You didn't stumble in to this thing, but God in his foreknowledge, another place in the Bible said, from the foundation of the world, saw you, chose you in Jesus, appointed you to be a cultural architect in the age and the generation in which you live. That's what Peter is saying to these Christians, and that's what the Spirit would say to us 
in our generation that what's going on in the world around us, we didn't just stumble on it. God didn't just forget about us, didn't just forget about what's going on. It wasn't an accident, but it's for such a time as this that God in his foreknowledge chose you and placed you in this generation, in this city, in this community, here and now to live as a chosen person, to live as a cultural architect, building a new city where people prosper and thrive. And that's a city that's not primarily defined by whoever is in power in that particular moment. It's not defined by a political party or a political agenda. In fact, these Christians that we're reading about, they were in the Roman Empire. A man named Nero was the emperor. Now, if you don't know about Nero, or maybe you forgot that middle school history class, Nero was a man with a very confused sexual ethic. He was married many times. At times, he would get married as a man. At times, he would get married as a woman, right? So very interesting kind of sexual views on life. And as a politician, he hated Christians. So at one point, he was blaming Christians for problems that the empire was facing. And so he would seize Christians, and he would put them on a stake, like a big wooden stake, and then light them on fire to be lights for his dinner party. Wow. You want to talk about some significant persecution that these Christians are facing, and yet here in the gospel, Peter is saying, you've been chosen for such a time as this to reflect the heavenly city that's not defined by man, but defined by the goodness of God. And the Spirit would speak to us today that that's our same name, that's our same identity, that's what you and I received in the gospel. This is strong grace. Then he goes on to say that you were chosen by the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit. What does it mean to sanctify something? It means to set something apart for a purpose. Do you know that the Spirit of God was setting these people apart for a purpose? They had a destiny on their lives. And in the same way, in the gospel, you and I, we've been set apart for a purpose. Do you know that you're a person of destiny? Do you know that you're a person with a divine calling? Do you know you're a person that God, in his foreknowledge, has set you apart with his spirit, set you apart for his purposes in our generation? Now, these are names that you need to walk out this week and be the people that Jesus has called us to be. Chosen cultural architects, foreknowledge of God with a destiny on our lives. That's the new name. Then he goes on to describe the new purpose. And what does he say? He says, you've been given this new name for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. This tells us that the sum goal of our life and your life is for more than just your own happiness then it's for more than just our own comfort. That's what Peter's writing to them. But no, you've been given a purpose that's wrapped up in obedience to Jesus Christ, that you're a part of the revolution that Jesus has birthed, the new creation that he's bringing forth, the renewal that he's making, and you have a purpose on your life for obedience with him as the king, that we're to live that way. They were to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, these Christians, do you want to know what happened through their life as they lived out this purpose? 
Well, number one, they transformed the world in the way we see children. In their day, children were devalued. They were uh, thought of as much less than. And in some senses, you could say that Christians uh, saved childhood that they would save kids that were thrown out by their families, that they would save babies that were left by the side of the road. They would bring them in. They would nurture them. They would build them up. They transformed the way we thought about children. They placed value on them. They transformed the way that we think about the poor. In that society, they would cast them to the side, and Christians would say, we're to love as Christ has loved us. And so they would give their lives. They would give their savings. They would give their time to serve and love the poor. And in so doing, they changed the way we forever think about the poor. They uh, adopted God's view on work as a sacred calling. And through that, they released both a prosperity and a generosity that has shaped the world. In, in the medical arena, it was these followers of Jesus fulfilling the call of God to love our neighbor as ourselves that invested themselves in medicine to bring healing to people. Universities, the leading universities of the Western world were built on Christian foundations with regard to truth and justice. They transformed the world, the way they lived out their calling, and we're still seeing the fruit, the good fruit from that. So question for you, what will happen as we receive this new name and begin to live in obedience to Jesus Christ in our generation. God is no longer sending Moses. Moses had his time. God is no longer calling and sending Esther or David or Abraham or Peter or these Christians. God is working through you and me that Jesus Christ has called you, has given you a new name, has set you apart in the sanctification of the Spirit for His purposes in our generation. Then he goes on to say that you are set apart for a sprinkling with His blood. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? Is this some like old-fashioned like zombie movie deal that we're talking about now? Like getting sprinkled with blood? We're not going to do that, by the way. Uh, it's symbolic. The way that they would appoint priests and leaders, spiritual leaders that were to be God's representatives to the people was by sprinkling them with blood. In the Old Testament, that's the way they did it. And here, what we're seeing is Peter is saying that grace has given you a new purpose of obedience to Jesus and a calling to be a priest, to be a spiritual leader. That every person in here, you're called into the ministry. You're called to be a pastor or a pastrix. I'm not sure the feminine of that word. But you are called to be that, to be a spiritual leader in your home, on your campus, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, that you're who God has assigned. This is the destiny on your life. That's significant. You're called to lead. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to you like you're made to lead because you have a high calling on your life. You have a destiny on your life. That's what Peter is saying to these Christians, and that's what the Spirit would speak to us. Now, there's also a new power source, because you might be like, Zach, um, that's awesome, and I'm glad you're fired up. Uh, I, I'm just like a normal Dallas guy or normal Dallas girl. I don't really know about that spiritual leader, you know, type deal. Most of the time, I'm just trying to get to work, 
right? How am I going to do this? And I want to be honest with you. If you and I try and live this out in our own strength, we're going to fail. And we're going to fail over and over and over again. Like, you, you just can't do it. You're going to be like, man, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And by 20 minutes outside of the service, you'll be like, you know, I already blew it. But that's where Peter goes next. Is he doesn't stop with a new name and a new purpose, but he points them to a new power source that the gospel gives us. Not our own striving and effort, but what does he say? May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So he points them to the grace of God, not only as meeting them where they're at, not only as giving them a new name and a new purpose, but grace is also a new power source. That the way that they were going to live out their identity, the way they were going to live out their calling, the way they were going to be a cultural architect after this heavenly city was by being filled with the power of grace. So it wasn't looking within that they were going to be able to pull this off, but it was looking up to Jesus and receiving grace from him, strong grace, that was going to empower these Christians to face the incredible suffering that they were about to face, but in the process to transform the world. Wow. What will happen as we as a community embrace this new name, embrace this new purpose, and embrace this new power source? What might God do in your life, in my life? What might God do in our city? What might he do in our nation? My, my father, who is a historian, he's in his 70s, he's a very interesting man, we're going to close with this story, sent me a, um, an email after the election, and he was, I love my dad, he was trying to provide some fatherly wisdom for me. And uh, in there, he, he studied history, he taught history at university levels, written books, he lectures, I mean, he knows history. And he said, Zach, there are times where society is shaking and these are the times where leaders need to step up and lead. And I want to say to you that as the world around us shakes, God is not shaken, but he's speaking. And he's calling modern-day Esthers, modern-day Moseses, modern-day Abrahams, modern-day Peters, modern-day Christians like these, modern-day people like you and me to receive the new identity, to receive the new purpose, to receive the new power source, and to lead in our generation. So I want to invite you to stand, and the band is going to come up. As we sing this song, let this be a commissioning of us taking our place in our generation to live out the purposes of God. We're going to sing the Lord's Prayer together, I believe. Is that what we're, that what we're doing? Good. Got that one right? So I'm going to pray, and then I want to invite you to sing with us. Jesus, you are awesome. You are good. You are compassionate. You are true. You are generous. You are joyful. God, thank you in the gospel that you choose us, that you give us a new name, a better name, a lasting name, one that brings forth a destiny, and you've called us for a purpose. God, and we as a community humble ourselves under this precious gift, this strong grace, and we look to you to be our supply and our source, our courage and our power. And we take our place, our commissioning as leaders in our generation for the obedience of Jesus Christ, for the sanctification of the Spirit and the sprinkling. 
with his blood, Lord. We want to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to join with us.
have that strong grace and that new name and that new purpose and that new power source in Jesus' name. As we go, I want to invite you, if you're new, to come to the Welcome to the Family Dinner next Sunday evening. Free food, great people. We'll get to know one another more. You can sign up online. And number two, if you've ever been to World Mandate before, you know it's awesome. We're actually going to have it here in Dallas this year. So we'll be telling you more about that in the weeks to come. You are dismissed. May you go in the power of the Spirit. God bless you.